Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How can ordinary people have an extraordinary impact in the world? This is known as what my guest talks about today as the lighthouse effect. And wait until you hear more about the lighthouse effect. It will blow your mind during this conversation. My guest today is none other than Steve Pemberton. Now, Steve has an incredible story, one that is going to no doubt move many of you. But he's a best-selling author philanthropist, uh, acclaimed speaker, and senior level executive to the likes of Monster.com, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, and WorkHuman. Steve Pemberton's story is about defying seemingly insurmountable odds to become a trailblazing corporate executive, enlightened diversity leader, visionary youth advocate, and acclaimed speaker. His best-selling memoir, A Chance in the World, recounts his triumphant life journey and drive to become a man of resilience, determination, and vision. You can also go and get a copy of his children's adapted version of his best-selling memoir, A Chance in the World, which uh, I've read both, and they are both honestly incredible. Um, he now, his, his book, A Chance in the World, has been, been made into an upcoming major motion picture, which is pretty damn cool. A Chance in the World further amplifies Steve's highly motivational messages of believe in your dreams, rise above obstacles, create opportunities for others, and most of all, and most importantly, actually, persevere. Steve's new book, which is coming out September 28th, and you can go and get a copy of it right now pre-order it. Uh, it's called The Lighthouse Effect. And what I was saying in the beginning, how ordinary people can have an extraordinary impact in the world. And uh, this was honestly a mind-blowing conversation for me. And I have no doubt it is going to help many of you uh, today. Don't forget, if you do get something from this conversation, to share it around to your friends and family. Uh, if you are helped by Steve's message, also Steve is is just a genuine human. Uh, he's a family man, and we actually recorded this conversation a little while ago uh, when he was actually 
uh, just finishing up at his kid's uh, ball game, I believe it was, and his wife actually joins us in this conversation a little later on, so you'll hear her too, but it was just a delight to be able to speak with both Steve and his wife and uh, listen and, and learn from both of their stories actually and, and all their advice too. So it is going to be uh, a helpful conversation for each and every one of you that are listening. So don't forget to share it around if you do get helped. Uh, all the links for everything that you need, such as buying Steve's new book, uh, are all in the show notes below. Don't forget to uh, leave a rating and review over and have a podcast if you do get something from this conversation today. would love your feedback and really do appreciate all your support too. All right, my friends, it is time to take a chance on me and Steve today as we journey into this story box and actually listen, learn, and grow to the incredible story of none other than Steve Pemberton. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be uh, with you, but after an introduction like that, I might have to take you everywhere I go. Uh, you know, for <laughs> you know, for for a minute, I'm like, I forgot who you were talking about. <laughs> well, uh, that, that was from the heart, my friend. Uh, I really did mean every single word that I said, and the impact that you've had, not just in my life from afar, but in the in the lives of so many people around the world with your story and. For those people as well that uh, want to hear a little bit more about your story, go and watch the Steve Harvey interview that he did. Um, it, it's it's a moving interview, man, like far out. <laughs> um, yeah, and, thanks, you. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate you making the time to be here. Before we dive into your story, I, I want to ask you one question that I love asking people at the very beginning. I think you might like it. What do you think or what does success look like for you? Yeah, success looks like for me is family. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And it's, you know, the everyday joys of family specifically, you know, the small moments, whether it was when the kids were young, uh, reading bedtime stories or a little bit older. Yeah, you know, now just coming back to my son's football game, for, for example, uh, that's really what success means. Not the material things, you know, it's not that. Uh, it's, it's the moments that really matter. Mm. Uh, that that been the arc of, of all of our lives. Yeah. When was the moment for you, uh, Steve, that you realized this was success? Has it been this, this gradual thing over time for you in your life or was there a catalyst moment somewhere? You know, I, I think when you define success as family in the way that I do, it was really because of the absence of those things when I was a young boy. And that, that to me was my, my lighthouse. That's what I was trying to sail my ship towards. And so it was not a gradual realization as much as it was the vision that I had all along. And when I became a dad in particular, I think it just closed the whole loop of my life. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, no matter what unfolds from here, it's all, it's all gravy. And it has been. So talk to me about the very first moment for you. What was going through your mind when you became a dad, when you found out I'm going to be yeah. a dad? So I, I, I was in my office and my wife, uh, who if you want to meet her, she's going to be joining us here in a second. Um, uh, yeah, so you get, you get two for one. If people love her. Uh, they might like me, but they love her. That's how that goes. So, so Jay, I, I am in my... Um, 
I am in my office and she had been not feeling well. And so we, we had been going to the doctor's office and we thought that, you know, she had a rather serious illness. Mm. And when she called me, she was in tears. And I thought, Oh, we've got some sobering news. And, and she was trying to talk and she couldn't. And finally she said, we're going to be parents. And in that moment, my whole (laughs) conception of the world changed. Uh, just vividly remember where I was, uh, when I got that call. So in your experience, Steve, what do you believe makes a great father compared to just a good one? Time. If there's, if there's anything that matters more than anything else, it's time. Mm -hmm. Children do not care how wealthy you are. Uh, they don't care if you're famous. They don't care about any of that. They, they care about the time that you make for them. And it's important for them to know that um, that they are number one to you. Uh, and what that does for your, your spirit and the impact that it has, the, the joy it gives you, it really is immeasurable. Uh, and I, I've been floating ever since. And that was, well, that was, you know, 20 years ago now. <laughs> so tell me about a lesson that you learned when you first became a father compared to now. Like, is there any... Any differences, any big standout lessons for you? Yeah, the biggest one is, uh, more than anything else, is understanding your child's personality and giving them the freedom to do that and to be that. We have three children, three different personalities. And yes, we do we have expectations about how you carry and conduct yourself as a person walking this world. Yes, we have all of those expectations. But you also have different personalities and provide the room for you to be that. I think another thing that's really important is um, to not allow for comparisons so much, uh, you know, because this is a world, this is a generation, as you well know, that wakes up every day in the midst of comparison because of social media in particular. And so to provide a sanctuary where they are not judged. Uh, and uh, they're not measured by whether or not somebody likes or tweets or retweets or shares or, you know, I think that sanctuary. Um, and so, you know, that uh, as a as a, as a young young dad, I knew was important. As I've gotten a little bit older, and as have they, I really see how important uh, you know that 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 was. And one more thing, which is I, 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 I and I know I. I don't want to say I battle this, but I try to be conscious of it. That sometimes, uh, when, it, when when they were younger, I wanted to make sure that they never experienced what I did. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they don't need to learn some some lessons about grit and resilience and determination. And it's never going to look like it did for me, but they still need to learn those lessons. They're invaluable. It's how you get a sense of your own worth and your own value. So I'll come back to resilience and grit and determination in just a moment. But did you ever think when you, when you're growing up and the things that you actually went through growing up, did you ever think that one day you would actually be a father? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, when I, I was writing the book, I requested my case file from the department of, uh, of social services. And in it, I saw a notation when I was about five years old, the social worker said, 
if you observe Steve long enough, you'll get the sense he has some really deep thoughts about family was what she said. And boy, was she right about that. Uh, so yeah, early on, I mean, I had a very, it was my measure of success, really, ultimately. Uh, it was, is what I, I, uh, I kind of in some way knew would maybe heal me from the hurt, you know, was, was, was to be a dad you know, ultimately. So it wasn't something I, that grew on me. It wasn't something that I even was uncertain about. Like, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm the coolest dad on my street. I am, you know, <laughs> so everybody flocks to our house and uh, I'm cool dad, you know, uh, I never had any reservations about that though. I never, I'm, I'm like, and you know why? Because I resolved that I was going to be what I never had. Mm. Mm. So tell me about that story, man. Tell me about how you grew up. Um, what happened to you? Well, you know, it, it's implied in the very title of the book, A Chance in the World. In a way, that's um, the beginning, uh, the middle, and the end of the story. Mm. I got the title from the diary entry of a babysitter who saw the really difficult situation I was in with my mother. I was over one years old. And he said of me, this little boy doesn't have a chance in the world. He just can't overcome this. And what he was referring to was that my mother was battling alcoholism. My father uh, was not known to anybody other than her and never took responsibility for me. And she was estranged from her family. Well, about a year after he made that prediction, I was taken from my mother at three years old now. And I never saw her again. I was too young to have any memory of her. And so... I, uh, I don't know um, uh, any concept of family. I don't know who I look like. I don't know um, where I've come from. I have this strange birth name of Steve Klakowitz, which is really confusing what ethnicity is that. And unfortunately, I wound up in some very cruel foster homes, not kind and caring families, like so many across the world who take in children. Uh, I did not experience that, unfortunately. And so, you know, my childhood was this, it was like this dual battle. You know, on the one hand, I'm trying to fend off these abusive foster homes. And then on the other hand, I'm trying to figure out, like, where have I come from? Who do I belong to? Mm. So was it more, what sort of abuse did you encounter? Was it sort of more physical, emotional, mental? What sort of abuse? It was all of those things, but the toughest was certainly the, you know, the emotional and the verbal uh, a treatment. That, that was hardest because you could steel yourself against the physical pain after a while, but when you are bombarded by daily messages of worthlessness and value, uh, that you're an accident. And I heard all of those things and far, far worse. You know, that's, that's more damaging because now that begins to shape your sense of what you can offer the world. And if you're repeatedly told that it is nothing, then, well, it takes some mighty forces of nature to prevent that message from actually sinking in. So two questions coming from that. The first one is, do you remember the worst thing that was ever said to you about you as, a, as an individual? And the second question is a follow-up, which is how did you find your worth? The, the worst thing that was ever said to me was that I was going to be worthless just like my father was. And uh, described to me the way that he died, which was uh, in a rather horrific way. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's, 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 that was very hard, you know, at the time I didn't know who he was. And, um, but there was part of me that didn't, didn't really, you know, believe that fortunately. So, um, I think the, um, the point of the second question, how did I find my worth? And it really came from the people who came to stand by my side, who had such a major effect on me, a, a lighthouse effect on me. Mm-hmm. They didn't know they were having this effect at the time. Uh, a kind neighbor who saw how much I loved to read and kept bringing me books over the 10 years that I'm in this foster home. A director of a college access program who let me know, hey, college is absolutely a possibility uh, for you. Um, and then probably most importantly of all, a high school teacher who took me in just three days after Christmas when I was uh, 15 years old and I literally had nowhere to go. Wow. So talk to me about the lighthouse effect. What does that actually mean? You know, it refers to two things one the physical structure that is the lighthouse Mm. but it also refers to humanity and our ability to have an impact on the lives of others i have become this like pseudo virologist which is the technical name for somebody who studies lighthouses Mm. Uh, i grew up in new bedford massachusetts and there was a lighthouse that i often saw as a young boy uh, called palmer island lighthouse and I, I, I think my fascination with lighthouses began then, really. Mm. And what's amazing about them, there's 22,900 of them across the world, by the way. Um, and they uh, have these unique characteristics that represent the best of humanity. They are humble. They are selfless. Probably the most selfless structure that humankind has ever created because it seeks nothing in return nor can you pay a lighthouse. It does not judge you for being in the middle of a storm. It doesn't ask you how you came to be there. It does not care about your race or your gender or your politics. It has this wonderful purpose in that it really has this um, idea that somehow it can protect the journey of the traveler. And it does that by directing that journey or correcting that journey. So I had people in my life who directed my journey and protected uh, my my journey. Uh, Now, as a technical matter, here's a fascination about lighthouses. We don't need them anymore because we have GPS, we have electronic navigational charts. So sailors will tell you they don't really need lighthouses anymore, but they still exist. So why is that? And the reason is because they represent the best of humanity. There are these noble, selfless structures that remind us of how we should be to one another. So to have a lighthouse effect, you don't need to be famous. You don't need to have a big title. You don't need to have degrees. You just have to have this heart, this servant's heart, and to see in somebody else's story a chapter of your own. Mm -hmm. And there's something so necessary about that in the world today that we so desperately need. Man, I'll be honest with you. I just got goosebumps (laughs) hearing you explain that. I'm not kidding. I, 
there's something about the lighthouse, like my lighthouse, the one that I go to and, and I, for direction, for meaning, for purpose yes. is, is Christ for me. Yes. That, yes, that, yes, yes, that's yes, yes. the ultimate lighthouse for me. And I wanted to ask you, because when you mentioned servant's heart, that just sparked, hey, are you a person of faith? Uh, you know, I I would tell you that my my story, my journey is almost entirely a story of faith. There is no other explanation for it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is my greatest hope that people don't look at me and say, well, he is such an exceptional person. What they ought to see really is a manifestation of faith mm-hmm. and a higher power saying that this cycle that he's been born into, or maybe the cycle that perhaps some of your listeners uh, were been born into, you know, there's this higher power says that this can end, this can end. And for me, that has continued to show up in so many different ways. Uh, as, a, as a young boy, I went to church one time in my entire childhood one time. And that was when I learned about the power of prayer. Mm. And I wrote a chapter about that experience in the young readers version of a chance the world, because I want young people to know that there is this higher power out there who you can tell your secrets to, who will not judge you and who will protect you. Had I known something like that as a young boy, I came to learn that of course, it would have only furthered, you know, my, my resolve. And you know, I think in this world sometimes today where we, we confuse our gods, in all honesty, mm-hmm. we begin to assign to man that which should be gods, mm-hmm. and it gets us in trouble. But all around us, we see reflections of faith, and uh, and the people who were lighthouses for me were doing so, it, their, their impact on my life, their shining their light on me, was a reflection of their faith. Mm-hmm. And, and so whether it was a John Sykes, the high school teacher, who, when I asked him, why did you take me in just three days after Christmas? He was a bachelor and living on his own. Why did you do that? And in essence, what he said is that over the course of our life, God asks us to say yes at certain times. And when I got that call, I knew that this had nothing to do with me and that I was being asked to say yes, even though I had doubts, not about you, he said but about himself and whether or not he was the right person. And so uh, I asked him, well, you know, what happened that day you got that call from my social worker? And he said, well, I'm, I'm talking to the social worker. He said, but I'm talking to God at the same time. And I said, well, what were you talking with God about? And he said, I was trying to convince God that I was not the right person <laughs> to take me in. Wow. And I said, I was, I said, well, what did, what did God say back? And he said, well, John, this young man is out of options. Uh, and though, uh, you may not trust you, I trust you and I need you to say yes. And he said, from that day to this day, he has never regretted it. And obviously neither have I. Wow. So for you, Steve, in your life, you, you, you talked about, there are moments in our life where God expects us to say yes to something. When in your life has something come your way that you you didn't want to say yes, but you did anyway? 
Well, she's actually seated right next to me. Tell me that's funny. Well, she's right here. Oh, yeah. She may have her own version. So I want everybody to see. This is my wife, Tanya. Hi, how are you? Hello, Tanya. How are you doing? It's good. Great good. Just you. came in Welcome. from the football game. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. So, um, you know, hopefully you can see both of us while I tell this story. Um, I, I uh, met Tanya while walking down the street in a wonderful vacation spot off the coast of Massachusetts called Martha's Vineyard. And uh, the, the quick cruising altitude story of it is that I met her one time and then saw her the following summer and didn't recognize her. And I almost blew it. Like I almost blew it. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so she uh, says to me, I, uh, she walks over to me and she says, I know you. And I was so caught off guard. I said, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, she, she's so striking and so beautiful. And what I was thinking was, how does someone this beautiful know me and I don't know her? That's what I was thinking, but it came out wrong. <laughs> and so uh, she uh, <laughs> totally came out wrong. It came out like, oh, you do like, you know, you, you know me. <laughs> you know? It was just not a good look. You know? Not my best moment, people. Not my best moment. So she walked away. She walked away. And I'm, I'm thinking, think, Steve, think, think. Like, where do you know her from? Where do you know her from? And then all of a sudden it clicked and I said, oh, yes, I know now. This is the woman that I met last summer. I walked over to her and it was a five minute conversation I had with her initially. And I said, I remember you now. Your name is Tanya. You're from New Jersey. You're a teacher. Um, when you were, uh, and I met, we were standing across the street from an ice cream shop and you were actually standing to my right. Your nickname is T. And when you walked away, you walked away to my left. Uh, your hair was pulled back, which uh, I said is why I did not recognize you. And you were wearing a blue parker in yellow shorts. He remembered all the details. He's he's very lucky. He has a very good memory because good he did right impress save. me with the details. Yeah. <laughs> it was save. the greatest save. It was a save. Thank you. It, was the, it, is, it is the greatest save in dating history. <laughs> it, oh is. it is. Yeah. So, and, and now, now, but it gets better. It gets better. Mm -hmm. She's on vacation with her friends who are not happy that I'm around because every time they turn around, I'm there, but <laughs> she's the one to the point of your question. And I know she's the one. And finally, at one point they said to her, why are you spending all this time talking to this guy? You don't even know his last name. Mm -hmm. And now this is the greatest line in dating history. I want everybody to get ready. Okay. I said in response, Please tell your friends that my last name is Pemberton and they should remember it because one day that's going to be your name too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I was speechless for a couple of minutes. I, it, I, was, I was literally speechless and I'm not often caught off guard. And I was like, and then I had to think really quickly on my feet and say, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how you do. <laughs> She's still speechless. Yeah. <laughs> So we were married less than a year after that. And, you know, but in all seriousness, to answer you, I knew that this was God's way of saying to me, everything you've endured like this and for a person like this. And so whatever void you feel in your heart, whatever it is that you have lost, 
you know, those losses will be there, but because of her, they won't nearly be as big uh, as you have always felt them. And uh, 25 years later, that has absolutely turned out to be true. Thank you. What a story. So tell me, okay, I want to ask you first, Steve, and then then Tanya, how did you know that this person was the one for you? What did they do? Did they say anything to you? Did they act in a certain way? Or was it just God showing you? No, it was it was nothing that she said. Uh, although it was absolutely her spirit, mm-hmm. she to this day has an authenticity of spirit. Uh, and and I heard someone who knows me who described her one time as uh, saying that um, to be around her is to be, it is almost as if you are you have a warm blanket and you are sitting by a fire, which is absolutely absolutely right. Um, and uh, it's, it was just undeniable. And the other thing, the practical matter is I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. That was the other thing, you know, because <laughs> to be honest, I had kind of gotten through life imposing my will. And I, and I kept trying to convince myself that she wasn't the one, you know? Uh, and I realized, and ultimately what I, I, I said to myself, and this is kind of a life lesson. I said, if you don't find out who she is, and whether or not this can be something meaningful, you're going to remember her for the rest of your life. And it will haunt you because you let her get away. Mm. And that calmed my soul. I love that. How about for you, Tanya? You know, for me, it was, I, I was most impressed with his ability to pick up on small details. Um, just every conversation that we had, the next time I would see him, he would remember something in particular of what we discussed, or he would remember how it resonated with me or just simple things. Or he would, he would, he always probed more and asked that extra question to figure out how I was feeling about something. And I just knew he was different and special. And I, I loved how comfortable I felt around him and how at ease I felt Um, and also protected. Like he had this strength that I knew came from the inside and I didn't know anything about his story at the time, but I just, it was just something that I could feel. Um, And I, I think I was most impressed with his um, certainty and assurance that he had about himself. We were so young. We were, we were both in graduate school and, you know, we were in our what, early mid twenties, you know, 20s, yeah. um, and he just was different. I thought, wow. And I, I remember my girlfriends were teasing me because we were on vacation there and every day they were like, well, here he comes again. And I was like, no, leave him alone. He's different. I like him. You know? <laughs> it was, um, it was, it was just, I just knew, I just knew, I don't know. I say it's something about the water and the Island and, and Martha's vineyard, I don't, <laughs> yeah. but it, it certainly, you know, brought us together. So, um, we're very great grateful, very blessed. And I always feel like God, you know, made this happen for us. So mm. we're very thankful. You two are absolutely incredible. <laughs> I love, I love oh, the story. So if you don't mind me asking, uh, what do you love the most about each other? Mm. You can go first. 
Um, it's not my cooking. <laughs> it's not his cooking. <laughs> not. Um, but you know what? I love his humor. Um, a lot of people think he's very serious and he does have this incredibly serious side, but he's also extremely funny and kind and lighthearted. And um, he's able to just bring out the best in people by just being himself um, and knows when to inject the right amount of humor to lighten a situation. Um, that and... Um, his heart. I mean, he's just, he's my best friend and he's, um, and he's, he's a good balance for me, like, especially with the parenting piece, because I always thought that I, I would be the easy one, the easy parent. And I'm, I'm probably the, uh, the one that cracks the whip the hardest, you know? <laughs> and so he's a good balance for me. Um, he can, he helps me to keep things in perspective. How are you going to tell that, Steve? Hey, you, you you can't, so I won't bother trying. Um, uh, I, I, Good one. Uh, I, I, and, it, and it is very true, by the way. I thought I was going to be tough dad, you know? Mm. Boy, did I get that wrong. You know, <laughs> Tiger Mom, I think the term was written for her. Uh, I can tell you that much. I, I got to play referee. I'm playing referee in the house most of the time. I'm like this mediator. I'm this mediator. Um, and uh, so I think we've switched personalities, I think is what's happened. <laughs> Very um, much so. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it uh, for me, it's her innocence. There's a joyfulness. Um, you know, she says that I pay attention to the small things. She appreciates the small things. And uh, it's, it's so helpful and important to have somebody around you who finds joy in the small things. And she's not bound by materialism. She doesn't define success by material things. And so she she finds so much joy in a well-tended garden uh, and a, a nicely presented home. I mean, she just enjoyed those things. And so I kind of sit back and I marvel at them. And I think as, as it does with any partner, it kind of forces you to slow down a little bit, you know, because I am I'm a hard charging, relentless personality. It was a function of survival for me. So I, I think calming that that engine that I, I have has been so important and so uh, and so helpful. I love that. I am. I do want to be respectful and mindful of your time because I know you do have probably got to get get home to get dinner. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to ask you about your new book, Steve, and even the lighthouse effect. You I mean you've explained it perfectly. What do you want, or what do you hope people to get out of not just the the the, the child version of your book, but also the lighthouse effect coming up? You know, I, in in some ways. They're, both books are really calls to action in, in, in different ways. I mean, the young reader's version of A Chance in the World. I really wanted to put my story in the hands of young people so they could see what was possible, what was possible. Had I read a story like mine at that age, it would have had a transformative effect and impact upon my life. I would have known that I wasn't alone. Uh, that others had endured what I did, I would have been able to chart a path that was focused on reading and on education. So that uh, that's what I really want to do. And, you know, the, the 
you know, foster care in um, and uh, being orphaned is it's a humanitarian crisis across the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not talked about that much, but it should be. And and so I wanted to also represent how the story turns out, especially for those for those young people. And that's a good segue to the lighthouse effect because. I wanted to talk about these people, these 10 people who I've met at different journeys along the way in my own life, who made me stop, much like Tanya has, made me stop and reflect on the lessons of their life. Uh, The woman who brought me books, I write about her. The teacher who took me in, I write about him. Uh, But I write about some other people too. Uh, A good friend who I met um, uh, playing golf and um, learned that uh, he, he had a certain kind of aura about him. He's a small man, but I noticed that people uh, had a certain kind of reverence for him. You know, he, you know, they'd nod and they'd whisper about him, but you could see it, but you didn't know what it was about. And then I learned that uh, F.L. Kirby um, was a Vietnam-era uh, helicopter pilot, and uh, his helicopter went down behind enemy lines, and uh, he miraculously found his way back uh, to to safety. Um, and yet he's also endured his own tragedies. He, he lost his son a couple of years ago and he and his wife, Judy, have now become bereavement counselors for, for others who have suffered losses. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, write about another friend who lost his father on Father's Day to a heart attack. Uh, and he was alone with his dad and there was in that moment he was helpless. There was nothing he could do. You imagine how devastating a loss that must have been for him. Yeah. And But he resolved that he uh, was never going to feel like that again. Never again will I not know what to do. He became a doctor and now has delivered over 4,500 children into the world. But it all goes back to that moment. I write about my biological uncle, uh, whose journey is very similar to mine. A, a woman who I bumped into on a train who found her father after 30 years and I was trying to write about mine. I mean, and these people, Jay, are all around us. And if we kind of pick our heads up and get away from the labels, we can see these people who have something to offer us. We have something that we can learn from them. And that's so important and so impactful. Mm, I totally agree with you, man. People can get a copy of your book. When is um, A Chance in the World, This when is this one coming out? That's going to be out on Tuesday of next week. Congratulations. Um, go and get a copy. And then, like I said, Lighthouse Effect, September 28. Um, I'll make sure that everyone, we might have to do a part two for that one. You never know. <laughs> I've loved speaking to you, man. I've got two final questions for you, if you don't mind. So this one's, I've got two hypothetical ones, okay? So you, you never got to see your mom again. If she's mm-hmm. out there today and you want to give her a message what would you say to her i I think she always wondered whether or not she offered anything to the world um and uh you know i I think the message that i i would uh, share with her and i know my my though she is no longer with us i know uh that her spirit though is uh, is finally at rest uh, because she knows that she did do something right after all in me. Uh, and I also think that she probably 
looks at her grandchildren as well and says, yeah, I, I did do, I did get something right. I had my challenges and I had my struggles, but I did get something right. Wow. My final question for you, Steve, this is very hard for me to end because there's so many great segues <laughs> into different questions, but this is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the end. It's another hypothetical, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. So it's different than your feature film. This is very different. Don't ask me how in the world they got all the content, by the way. We'll call it magic <laughs> for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Uh, it's probably summarized in uh, uh, my, my favorite quote um, uh, that comes from Edith Hamilton was writing about the poet Aeschylus. And uh, she says, um, he was the first and the last, uh, the born fighter. Uh, to whom the consciousness of being matched up against an adversary suffices. And he knows that there is that within him which can turn defeat into victory. Uh, you know, that for me um, is uh, the message probably that I, I would want to hear the most. Um, and uh, I also have always uh, loved um, uh, the, the scripture that says, uh, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Mm. One of those two. I get to choose two. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I honestly hate ending conversations like this. <laughs> it is like my pet peeve. But thank you both so much, Steve and, and Tanya, for the work that you do, the lighthouse that you both actually are in this world. We need you two. Uh, please continue on. I want to leave you with my all-time favorite verse, if I, if that's okay. I have it in my please. my my journal. It's uh, the the eagle. It's from Isaiah forty verse thirty one, and I love this because it relates to you and everything you have been been through in your life. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the Storybox podcast today. What an honor. What an honor it is for, for, for both of us. We, we had not planned this, by the way, uh, to have both of us here. But what an honor to spend the time with you. And thank you uh, so much for, for investing in this story and understanding uh, what I was trying to achieve and, and sharing it with the world, which is it is about the world that is far less about me and far less about us. So thank you for seeing that. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. 
And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the story box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.